After years of stagnation, innovations in the construction industry were sought and found after the turn of the millennium. Under the pressure of global warming, urban growth and high emissions, new concepts were developed to deal with existing and new buildings, saving resources and acting sustainable. The key? Urban mining. Looking at a city as a dynamic living resource and material bank decisively changed building development. Disused banks, power plants or even old stadiums are not only repurposed, but also provide necessary components for new projects and give them identity. Suddenly, new buildings start to tell a story with old materials. The future city undergoes dynamic development, which facilitates the removal and insertion of materials in the construction industry enormously. A balance is created between supply and demand, which allows the city to develop naturally. Due to the greatly reduced construction noise and low environmental impact, our living conditions changed. Animals can finally find refuge in the recovered nature and fewer species are endangered in this man-made world. The city of the future is a place characterized by temporary design, sensible sustainability and climate-appropriate architecture. What sounds like an utopic scenario now could soon become reality if we act now. Since the post-war period, we have been surrounded by an anthropogenic warehouse of over 50 billion tons of material. This warehouse grows every year by another 10 tons per inhabitant. Much of it is located in buildings. Wouldn't this warehouse be a potential resource for the construction industry of the future? This is the question we want to deal with today with our guest, Professor Dirk Hebel. Dirk Hebel is Professor of Sustainable Construction and the Dean of the Department of Architecture at the Karlsruher Institute of Technology. He is also the faculty advisor of Team Roofkit at the Solar Decathlon Contest 2021. Our buildings generate more than 40% of our emissions. They need to become more sustainable. Thank you, Mr. Hebel, for joining our interview today. So the first question of today would be, what is the definition of urban mining? Urban mining describes um, the idea, or let's say the concept, that um, building materials that were once used to build our cities, to build our habitats, that are actually able, that we take them out of these buildings again uh, by the means of uh, recycling, um, and bring them back to that level that we can use these materials or building elements again to construct new buildings. And as that term urban mining already describes, it is a fact that this mining is a very hard work. It needs a lot of energy. It needs a lot of passion. It is dirty. It is loud. Um, and basically it is not an ideal condition because the ideal condition would be that we construct our buildings in such a way that we do not need to understand our built environment as a mine, but basically as a storage of materials. And that it should be super easy to deconstruct buildings and use these materials and building elements again to construct in a similar easy way new buildings. So that describes the term of urban mining. It is a state that we are in. But my hope, of course, is that in the next 10, 20, 30 years, we overcome that stage of urban mining and then start a real circular economy 
whereby the idea of storage um, is the future we should aim for. So now that we already talked about the definition of urban mining, could you tell us something more about the main questions and strategies of urban mining? As urban mining is a concept uh, that is basically acknowledging the present stage of how we constructed our buildings and acknowledges also how difficult it is to take these materials out again of buildings. It is um, a, big, a big issue um, which materials are actually able to be taken out of buildings, being recycled uh, and being able to bring back for new construction materials. And you can imagine that a lot of those materials that we glue into our buildings or that we are uh, using wet ceilings or we're using composite materials, that all of those materials and, and building elements are not meant or they were never meant to become a circular system. Therefore, all of these materials where we have a mixture of different materials, where they are sticking together and we cannot separate them anymore, all of these materials we have to sort out. And, and that is actually a big problem. And, and therefore, urban mining can only be a stage, an in-between stage, that we need to overcome as soon as possible and start really the idea of a circular construction industry based on an endless circulation of materials and elements in the building industry. So now that you already gave us a short overview about different materials, um, that would lead us to the question um, about primary and secondary raw materials. Could you explain us what that means and maybe give us an example? The difference between uh, primary raw materials and secondary raw materials is basically the stage that they are in, uh, in a circular-based economy. So let's say when you take out materials, minerals, metals out of the earth crust, we talk of primary materials. The moment that we put in them into buildings um, and we use them as a product, um, and then in a second life span, we use them again or we reconfigure them uh, to become a new material, we talk of a secondary uh, or tertiary Uh, circle or, or secondary raw material. So basically, these terminologies describe um, the number of, of stages that a material is already in use and how many times it is actually uh, entering the circle again. Okay, so uh, when it comes to the urban mining, the phrase cradle to cradle is often used. Can you explain to us what the cradle to cradle principle is all about? The term cradle to cradle was, um, was, let's say, invented or was kind of um, made public by a very famous book with the same name, uh, Cradle to Cradle, by Michael Braungart and William McDonough. And basically the term cradle to cradle describes a circular mentality. So cradle to cradle means that uh, we leave the linear system from cradle to bar, basically from birth to death, and basically understand our environment and our natural systems not as a linear ending system, but as a continuous and never-ending circular system. So that um, the birth um, is the starting point and the end point of uh, this mentality, and therefore understand that uh, it, is not, it is not, let's say, a bad idea to use materials or a bad idea to construct buildings or a bad idea to consume as long as we do it in such a way 
that these materials or these elements that we are using are not destroyed during that usage phase, but are prepared in such a way that by the end of the use of these materials, we can start a new metabolism or a new circular move um, in a circular economy. So now that we are talking about different definitions and words that I often get mixed up about the urban mining debate and all, for all our listeners that are new to um, this topic, we want to make clear the difference between two specific words, talking about downcycling and the word reuse. Could you explain us what the difference between these words are? See, when we talk about a circular economy or a circular mentality in thinking, acting and doing, um, we, have, we can understand different speeds in, in the circular economy. So uh, when we talk about reuse, we mean that we take um, a piece of a building, let's say a door handle that was for 50 years in one building, and you basically carefully unscrew it in, in that building, in that door, um, and you use it again in the next building, right? And that is a very short circular mentality because you, you have the product, you have the form, you have its physiognomy, and basically taking that one-to-one -one in the same use again as before. That is the, the fastest or, let's say, the, the closest circle we can talk about. If you would take that door handle, which is, let's say, out of a metal, and you would melt that metal and reconfigure it, and then producing something else out of it, let's say um, you produce a car out of this doorknob, right, or door handle, then, of course, that circular or that, that idea of a circle use is a much larger one because you have to invest energy to melt the metal, you have to invest energy to form the metal, You have to invest energy then to come to a product. Um, and in the end, maybe in four, five, six, seven circles that the metal is, is looping, in the end, it could happen that it becomes a door handle again. But you understand that that circular mentality is a much longer way than the direct reuse. So basically, we're describing, or there is a difference in between the reuse and the reconfiguration um, of different materials or elements. The largest circle that we know is the biological one. So when we think, for example, of sand, right? Sand is a product of erosion. So basically, um, sand is, is formed by our, by our natural um, cycles of, of, um, of tectonic movements in, in our Earth crust. So maybe through these tectonic movements, a, a mountain range um, like the Alps or others uh, were formed. And now through hundreds of thousands and millions of years, um, erosion, meaning the, the, the influences of, of climatic uh, situations, the influence of weather, is basically forming that rock into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. And then it is washed down by, by, by streams and rivers into our ocean and or oceans and basically is then um, um, known as sand uh, that is on the shorelines of our oceans and, and uh, could, be, could be seen. Or I think each one of us knows when we talk about beaches um, that, 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 that feeling and, uh, and the size of, of the sand. 
It would take another million of years uh, before that sand, the natural sand in our oceans, maybe again through tectonic movements is settled down on the ocean's um, uh, floors and grounds and basically is again entering that circle and becoming maybe even liquid, uh, is, is forming um, uh, in, in a mineral, uh, mineral circle and comes back again as mountain ranges or through um, the idea of volcanic activities or other uh, titanic movements. So that is a circle we're talking about millions of years, right? And that is maybe the longest circle that we know. So between using or reusing the doorknob knob, and, and you reusing sand or kind of um, the idea or the understanding of the, the um, uh, sand circle, uh, in between that is the range of different circles uh, we can actually talk about. And um, you also uh, asked the question of what downcycling means. So when we talk about the cycling ideology, I just explained in different uh, stages and different speeds uh, that we can understand these, these circular mentalities. Um, downcycling means that we as humans uh, interrupt the idea how these natural circles could actually work. So downcycling is describing um, a phenomena that when we have a raw material or a primary raw material um, and are mixing it or kind of manipulating it in such a way that in a second circle, the quality of that material is not the same anymore as its primary stage. Then we're talking about downcycling. For example, a very, a very known example is the cascade um, of wood, right? So you have a tree uh, as a primary resource. You cut maybe um, uh, pieces out of that tree. You're using it as, a, as, as for building a roof, let's say. Um, and uh, these wood elements um, uh, would be best used in a reuse so that you dismantle it maybe in one roof structure and putting it into the next roof structure. But in the latest, or let's say in the last decades, what we, what we did as humans were protecting these woods by adding some chemicals to it to, make, to protect it against, um, against uh, any kind of decomposition uh, or to maybe color it or to add other substances to it. And these substances uh, that we're adding it uh, prevents it from entering the biological circle again. So next to that natural circle I talked about sand, we can also talk about decomposing or decomposition in, in a natural means uh, via uh, bacteria, via mushroom, via other um, uh, elements, natural elements that help all the organic material to enter again a circle and becoming nutrients for other plants to grow. So by preventing the wood entering that biological uh, circle, by adding different stuff to it that should not be in the wood, we cannot put it back in that, in that biological circle. So therefore we invented a kind of a cascade usage, right? So that we say, okay, now I take the beam, the wooden beam that I cut before out of the tree, and now I chop it even in smaller pieces and make something out of a, of a wood um, plate, right? And I mix it with glue. And then in the third cascade, I realize, oops, now I can even not use it anymore as a, as a wooden uh, plate, but now I have to um, 
um, shredder it in, in smaller pieces and and, uh, and and use it for, I don't know, for an addition to another material. And then I have a composite again. And in the very end of the cascade, I realized the only thing left I can do is burning it, right? And by burning it, of course, I'm, I'm losing everything that nature provided. I, I'm losing the ability to compose it. I lose the, the possibility to become nutrient for other plants. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm creating a lot of emissions, um, which are right now in, in our climate crisis are the biggest problem that we actually have. So therefore, downcycling is never a very good idea because downcycling is disturbing our natural circular systems. And we should, as much as we can, uh, prevent downcycling mentalities. So, so is it if you use sand, for example, for the, for the production of concrete, so would this also be downcycling? Because you take the sand and take it out of biological circle and yes. it, can't be, it can't turn to sand again? Yes, we have to be honest that uh, also the idea of recycling concrete and, and adding recycling elements to new concrete is a, is a downcycling process. Because in the end, um, in our stage today, where we are with our technology, we cannot take once used concrete and transform it back into sand, gravel and cement. That is state today, but I have to say there are a lot of research going on, especially in France, where a company, a special company, claims right now that they found a technology that you can take concrete that was once used in, in building structures and basically recycle that concrete back to its original ingredients, uh, as I mentioned, sand, gravel and concrete or cement, excuse me. So in that moment, when we are able to have, again, the, the original components, then we can take them and bring them back in a circular mentality. That is, that is of course, that would solve a hell lot of problems right now in the concrete industry. And I think we should invest more time and more research in, in really getting there that we are able, hopefully very soon, uh, to bring each of our building materials and building components back to its original state. And only then, in its original state, it, it has the quality to enter the next life cycle uh, again in, in, a, in a meaningful way. Okay, maybe at this point we can also, just for our listeners, uh, can give the hint of the documentation Sand Wars for anyone who's interested in the topic because it's, uh, it's a very good documentation that makes uh, clear what the sand crisis actually means for us and to what this could lead in the future. Since the material sand is such a big uh, material used in the building in forms of concrete and uh, you already talked about a company that is trying to reuse concrete so that's a very nice solution you gave us. Um, could you tell us how it could work in the future to collect the data from these bases. I think that's another big problem in the case of urban mining. Yes, um, that, is a, that is very true. That uh, It is a fact that uh, today we only have rough estimations on, on how much material and in which quality state these materials are bound into our built environments. So I think um, the question and the, and the, and the really um, light-speed development of digitalization in the building sector will actually address and help this problem. So what we would need in the end is actually a material pass. So we would need to know for each building which amounts of materials are used to build the structure, uh, in which quality stage are they in, and how difficult or easy, hopefully, it is to take them out again. 
So basically what we do today, when you buy um, a house, right, an existing house, you uh, um, are obliged, or let's say you sell it, you are obliged to create an energy pass for this building. And I think we should, we should really start thinking about that next to an energy pass, we need a material pass. So not only for new structures, but we should also do that for existing structures. Um, and then in the digital um, space, we should have a, a cadaster that is basically uh, documenting uh, each material and the amounts of materials, as I described before, for each building um, and making sure that this data then can be used in order to understand the magnitude uh, of this amount of, of uh, building materials um, and secondary raw materials that could be activated for future uh, architectural and, and engineering structures. But when it comes to the collection of data in the future, I think we also have to talk about BIM. So for those who don't know it, uh, BIM is short for Building Information Modeling and is a method that is used as a planning tool, for example, with using 3D models. And with BIM, you could also collect information because you have this 3D model and you see all the materials and everything. So do you see, do you see any, any relevance for BIM in the field of urban mining in the future? Yeah, I see, I see a huge relevance in the question of, um, of, uh, of a digital twin. I think we, we need uh, a digital twin for each of our buildings. And within that digital twin, we can store all the information that are necessary to, to come to a new understanding of resources and come new understanding of a circular mentality. Um, and therefore, the digital twin, if we call it BIM or not, we can discuss if that is the right term. But uh, in the digital realm, we need to have a twin structure that basically is providing the information also on that material level. Yes, I'm, I'm very convinced of this. For the next point, we want to come uh, to what's happening right now. Um, as we all know, uh, where, where we do this podcast um, is the Solar Decathlon. And for this, uh, we want to ask in how far contests like the Solar Decathlon function as a role model for the international, uh, for the international urban mining debate. So where, where's, the, where's the importance? Do you think it, it can bring us awareness for the topic? Well, first of all, I have to say that the, the Solar Decathlon 21 um, is, of course... Um a role model in itself first, that we are operating in an existing European city in Wuppertal and that the building sites are not, is not the, the green field, right? The, the sites that we are operating on um, are existing conditions, either as a top-up uh, on, on, uh, on an existing Café Ada or as an as a in-between uh, condition of a, of, a, of a lot that is empty since World War II. Um, so these are very uh, exciting and very, let's say, relevant uh, urban conditions that we are operating in. So the idea not asking only the question of how we should operate within the organism of the city itself, but also with which material and resources we should do so, um, is, very, is very clear uh, and is very, let's say, uh, revolutionary in the history of the Solar Decathlon uh, competition. Therefore, and that is the reason why we as uh, KIT actually were, were very happy to enter uh, that, uh, that competition uh, this year, because we think the combination of, of energy, the energy question, plus the question of resources together make that competition for us much more interesting than the, the ones that were held before, where the focus were, 
or was much more on, on the energy question alone. So therefore, we are, we are happy to do so. And, and uh, I think, yes, uh, the, the, the competition and the Solar Decathlon should be a, a role model, right? It, it, should, it should show uh, to others what is already possible today. See, we are very fast usually in, in, in shouting for regulations and political frameworks and whatever. But if we would put ourselves in that situation yeah, as politicians and, and ask ourselves, would I take a decision as a politician to go in one direction, which I don't know yet if it will work out or not, I think all of us would say never ever I would take that risk. So our role as researchers, as universities is to show to others and also decision makers that this is already technolo technological possible today. That is the role of such competitions and of such buildings as, as we did a couple of them already over the last years here at KIT, showing and opening a field of possibilities. Only then decision makers will follow because then nobody can say this is not possible. So our role as researchers and, and the role of, of university as such is to basically pave the way. And that's how I see this, this competition. That's how I see Solar Decathlon. And that's why I think um, uh, every minute spent for each one of us here at KIT is worthwhile doing so. Thanks. So now that we are already talking about the KIT, so the new semester just started and we gained a few new members at the RoofKit. Could you maybe give us a short overview about the current design drafts or maybe about a um, house demonstration unit? The competition or the way how we deal with the competition here at KIT, of course, is a, is a rolling system, right? So we started in a very bad time with the pandemic situation, um, very rough start, um, and we, we were uh, yeah, unsure how to, to, to deal with it. But I have to say now in the spring uh, of 2021 that we are in right now, We have a team of almost 60 people uh, working here at KIT um, uh, on different stages and in different parts uh, on this competition. And in addition, we have a lot of partners outside um, that help us um, already um, with the logistics of how to construct then the house demonstration unit in Wuppertal. They help us with the general design of the top-up uh, of Café Ada. Um, there are a lot of engineers, a lot of uh, experts uh, in different fields that come together uh, around that core team uh, that is operating at the Faculty of Architecture here at the KIT. And I'm very proud um, that we have such a big uh, team and, and so many people working together on this really uh, yeah, small, <laughs> small design project, but it shows how complex actually this is. And therefore, um, I mentioned before that we need a shift. We need a paradigm shift in the building industry. And um, this paradigm shift needs to be accomplished by many. So therefore, um, here at KIT, um, in the last phase of the design that we are in, right? So we are moving it on very fast now in, in, in decision making uh, what, the, what the final stages will be. We are already in talk uh, with, with uh, construction companies. We are collecting materials. Uh, we, are, we are looking at these materials. Um, um, they are coming from the urban mine. It's very difficult. And then we have to change the design again because we maybe did not get what we really want and we have to accept uh, what we have. 
So it's a very dynamic uh, moment and very dynamic uh, process that we're in right now. But I have to say that this, this way of designing is so much more fun than actually kind of designing something and then saying, well, somebody will have these materials anyhow and somehow we will get this done. So, so we, we are putting the design process right now um, on its head, right? Feet up. And therefore, I think it's a very interesting moment. It is a very, very um, vivid and, and, and vital moment uh, in the design process. Um, and I hope that, uh, let's say, by the end of the summer, we know exactly what we do. And then the, the, the fall um, and then next spring, uh, we will go into production so that we can present our work finally next year in, in Wuppertal. Okay, uh, so you told us that uh, our current roof kit project is using the principles of urban mining. Can you give us one example for it? Yeah, we are, we are um, in, in contact with a lot of people collecting um, materials, uh, be it uh, constructor, uh, uh, construction companies or being at companies um, that we are in friendly relationship uh, with uh, that we found over the last couple of years uh, here in the area, in the Rhine, Upper Rhine Valley area. Um, and we are, we are looking for, for example, uh, used uh, metal. We are looking for even uh, used uh, solar uh, panels. We are looking for used wood. We, 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 really, we, we engage and we embrace um, each of these elements, each of these materials, uh, and try as much as we can to show and to demonstrate uh, that these materials are not waste, but that these materials have a future. Thank you. So that brings us to the last question for today. Um, what are the future plans concerning the house demonstration unit after the solar decathlon contest is ended? Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to say that uh, the president of, of KIT, um, Mr. Hans Elker, was very happy to hear that the KIT, of course, is entering this competition. And he said he wants to have that house demonstration um, after the competition back in Karlsruhe. So <laughs> he wants to show others. He wants to, he wants to show that uh, we here in Karlsruhe are able to build in such a way. And uh, I think that will be a fantastic moment to have a second opening uh, of this house demonstration unit uh, after Wuppertal, to have it again here with the president and with uh, all the people of KIT and celebrate um, uh, that, that, that this unit uh, shows and demonstrates a future um, in the building industry and in that uh, KIT and the university is having a, a big part or a big say um, in the questions of research and in, in demonstrating uh, the possibilities and the abilities that we have uh, with these thinking and with this doing and with this acting. And therefore, um, I'm, I'm happy that also in that sense, uh, even so we are building this, this house demonstration unit only for a couple of weeks to be tested and to be evaluated in, in Wuppertal, that we take it then for a second lifespan back to Karlsruhe and maybe, I don't know, maybe in 10, 20 years, then we disassemble it and, and putting each material back in its stream where it belongs and where it becomes um, a new building element for other structures. Well, those are perfect closing words for today's episode. Let me just say that we are very excited already and are looking forward to the next few months of work and the outcome of the competition. So in this sense, I want to thank you a lot in the name of the RoofKit team for being here today and answering our questions. Also, thanks a lot to you, our listeners, and we will be back in a month with a new episode, Fighting 40%. <laughs>